Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Friday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. On Wednesday, we saw David wheeling and dealing, maneuvering his way to the throne. We saw Joab murder Abner after Abner had assembled all the tribes of the north to deliver to David. Oh, this is like a scene right out of The Godfather. The king is on the ascent, and all the enemies need to be eliminated. We put into our story now at 2 Samuel chapter 4. Now, when Ishbosheth, the weakling son of Saul, heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he was terrified. He lost courage, and all this world became alarmed. Now, Saul's son had two men, that is Ishbosheth, had two men who were leaders on raiding parties. One was named Baana, the other Rechab. They were sons of Rimon the Berothite from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, Beroth is considered part of Benjamin because the people of Beeroth fled to Gethaim and have lived there as aliens to this very day. Now, parenthetically, do we have anyone else in line for the throne? Let's see. Jonathan. Jonathan, Saul's first son, who died at the Battle of Mount Gilboa. We're told parenthetically, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was about five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, she fell holding him. She fell on top of him, and he became crippled. His name was Mephibosheth. Now, Rechab and Baana, the son of Rimon, the Barathite, set out for the house of Ishbosheth. And they arrived there in the heat of the day while he was taking his noonday rest. They went into the inner part of the house as if to get some wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Recap and his brother Brianna slipped away. They had gone into the house while he was lying on the bed in his bedroom. And after they stabbed and killed him, they cut off his head. Taking it with them, they traveled all night by way of the Arabah, and they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron. And they said to the king, <laughs> Here is the head of Ishbosheth, son of Saul, your enemy, who tried to take your life. This day the Lord has avenged my lord the king against Saul and his offspring. <laughs> well, David answered Rechab and his brother Rihanna, the sons of Rimon the Barathite. As surely as the Lord lives who has delivered me out of all trouble, when a man told me Saul is dead and thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and put him to death in Ziklag. That was the reward I gave him for his news. How much more when wicked men have killed an innocent man in his own house on his own bed? Should I not now demand his blood from your hand and rid the earth of you? So David gave an order to his men. He nodded once again. Off went their heads. They were killed. And the men cut off their hands and feet and hung the bodies by the pool of Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in Abner's tomb at Hebron. 
Now, David has just rid himself of Ishbosheth. How did the men come up with this idea? Maybe they thought, well, we'll do something for David that will get us promoted. But David got rid of Ishbosheth and he came out smelling like a rose. And everybody in Israel knew it. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and they said, we are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns before the troubles began, before you ran off and became an outlaw. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will become their ruler. And when all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a compact with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over all Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king. He reigned 40 years, an entire generation. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, over all Israel and Judah, 33 years. So all the tribes have now coalesced around David. But to make the deal, to make it work, remember Abner put it together, but Abner's dead. So as a gesture to the northern tribes, David moves his capital from Hebron, square in the middle of Judah, the tribe of Judah. He moves his capital north as a gesture of goodwill toward the northern tribes. A smart move. His capital will become Jerusalem. Unfortunately, somebody else lives there right now. But watch how David will take the town. And it's a brilliant move. Think of our own country, of the United States. After the Revolutionary War, when we gained our independence, where would you think the capital of the new nation would be? There were 13 colonies. And uh, where would the capital be? Well, probably Philadelphia. That's where they wrote the Declaration of Independence. That's where the Liberty Bell is. That's where they met and planned all the, all the, all the battles. Philadelphia. But no. They took over swampland in what today and what then was Virginia. The capital was moved south as a concession to the southern colonies. And they built Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia. It pleased everyone. It was a good compromise and a magnanimous gesture on the part of those from Philadelphia. But David has to conquer Jerusalem. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. Now the Jebusites said to David, you won't get in here. Even the blind and the lame could ward you off. They thought David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, the city of David. 
on that day. How would David do it? He said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. That's why they say the blind and the lame will not enter the palace. You can't, Jerusalem's Mount Zion is on a hilltop. Jerusalem today sits at 2,500 feet above sea level. Every road to Jerusalem goes up from Jericho, 900 feet below sea level, up to Jerusalem. 2,500 feet above. From the Mediterranean coast, sea level, up to Jerusalem, 2,500 feet above. Every road is up. You always go up to Jerusalem and down from Jerusalem, regardless of the direction. So David said, if we want to take that city, we have to use the water shaft. Because right below the hill on which the city was built, is the Kidron Valley. And you have fresh water sources there at the valley, the Gihon Spring uh, and others. How do you get the water up to the city? Through a water shaft. So that is what they did. They used the water shaft. David took up residence in the fortress and he called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the supporting terraces inward and he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. David used the water shaft. What a clever way to take that city. Forget breaching the walls. Forget archers on the walls shooting at you. You go in through the water shaft. Can't you just see it? A special operations team, David, Joab, and his men, at night, cloaked in darkness, making their way through a pitch black water shaft and emerging inside the city itself. David was a magnificent warrior. Well, Hiram, king of Tyre, Tyre is up north in modern day Lebanon, and uh, he sent messengers to David along with cedar logs and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built a palace for David. And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. So after he left Hebron, David took more concubines and wives <laughs> when he was in Jerusalem. And more sons and daughters were born to him. Now, these are the names of the children born to him there in Jerusalem. Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Yaphia, Elishama, Eliad, and Eliphath. David had more sons. So he had seven born in Hebron. Now, number eight is Shamua, number nine is Shobab, number 10 is Nathan, number 11 is Solomon. Now Solomon will become king after David. So how does son number 11 get to be king? Oh, we have a tale for that, I can tell you. 
Well, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it. He went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? And the Lord answered, Go, I will surely hand the Philistines over to you. Now David had worked as a really tough mercenary for Achish, king of Gath, for the Philistines. David knew how their military operated. He knew what their weaknesses were. So David went to Baal-perazim, and there he defeated them. He said, as waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal-perazim. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. Once more, the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, and he answered, Do not go straight up. Circle around behind them and attack them in front of the balsam trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, move quickly. That will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer, all the way down to the coast. David is consolidating power. But there were still many who viewed him as illegitimate. He was an outlaw, on the run, a wanted felon. Saul still had his loyalists. Others, well, they didn't trust David. What could David do to earn their approval, to be authentic, to be approved of God as king? Oh, I have an idea. What if we brought the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem? Remember the Ark of the Covenant? During the Exodus, right after receiving the law, in Exodus, God gave very specific directions about building a tabernacle. And Moses built the tabernacle. That would have been way back in 1406, uh, 1445. Inside the tabernacle, you had, you had the courtyard with a lava and an altar, and then the tent proper with the holy place in the front. In the holy place, and only the priest could go in the holy place, only when needed. On the left was the golden menorah, the lamp stand. On the right, a table of showbread with bread and wine, and directly in front, a small altar of incense. Incense would be burned before the Lord twice a day. Incense spoke of the people's prayers rising to God. Behind the altar of incense was a curtain that divided the tent in two. On the other side of the curtain was the Ark of the Covenant, an acacia wood box overlaid with pure gold with a solid gold lid with two cherry beams, all made of one piece on top. And that's where the pillar of cloud and fire rested. That was the mercy seat, if you will, God's throne amidst the Israelites. Well, what if we brought that up to Jerusalem? 
And we had in Jerusalem, in the courtyard of David's palace, the pillar of cloud and fire. Now that would be credibility. That would be the stamp of approval from God. So that is what David plans to do. David brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all, and he and his men set out from Baalah of Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. They set the Ark of God on a new cart, and they brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the Ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. Now, wait, wait, wait. When the Ark of the Covenant was to be moved, there were two poles that ran along either side of the Ark of the Covenant. Two poles that were threaded through golden openings. And the Ark of the Covenant was to be carried on the shoulders of four priests, one priest on each end of the two poles. That's how you move the Ark. You didn't put it on an ox cart. Well, I guess David didn't know. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs and harps and lyres and tambourines, systems and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled and the ark was about to topple off of the cart. So he instinctively reached up his hand and put it on the ark of the covenant. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. And God struck him down right there. He died beside the ark of God. Pew! Toast! David was angry because of the Lord's wrath that had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. Perez Uzzah. The outbreak against Uzzah. So don't mess with the Ark of the Covenant. David was afraid of the Lord that day. He said, how can the Ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the Ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. I don't want that thing in my home. <laughs> Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The Ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. David didn't want to be anywhere near that ark. I mean, Uzzah had reached out and touched it to keep it from falling off the cart, and he was incinerated right there on the spot. I know. I'll take it to Obed-Edom's. Now, can you imagine the ark being brought up, still on the ox cart, to the home of Obed-Edom? David knocks on the door. Obed-Edom opened the door. David! Good to see you, my, my friend. What, what brings you here? David said, I brought a gift for you. It'll look nice in your living room. Really? No, truly, I, I, I want you to keep it for me. All right, you're the king. So they brought it in, sat it right in the middle of the living room. And you can be sure that everyone in the house of Obed-Edom walked way around that thing sitting in the living room touch it, you'll be incinerated. 
Now, King David was told the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. One, two, three, four, five, six, stop, kill the bull. One, two, three, four, five, six, stop, kill the other bull. All the way up. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, David's first wife, wife of Paltiel, our little accountant or actuarial with the thick glasses, who loved her and she him. And she'd been taken from him, from her home. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city, she watched from a window. And when she saw, she was up in a top bedroom. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. You know, she was so much in love with David when they were young. But now I can't stand the creep. Look at him making a display of himself. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it in the courtyard of the palace. David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of all the Israelites, men and women. And all the people rejoiced, and they all went back home. Now when David returned home to bless his household, this is a big day for David. He has finally gotten credibility as king. I mean, for goodness sakes, God is living in his backyard. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. And she said, "How the right in front of all the people, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of slave girls as any vulgar fellow would do. You disgust me, David. David turned on her. He said, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I'll become even more undignified than this. I'll, I'll humiliate myself in my own eyes. But the, these slave girls that you spoke of, I will be held in honor by them. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. David never touched her again. David locked her away in a room in the palace where she lived out the rest of her life. This is not a punishment from God. This is vengeance from David. David, magnificent warrior, 
great man of God in many ways. David, a very shrewd politician. David, a stone-cold killer. Oh, this story is so good, my friends. I love the story of King David. I hope you do too, and we'll continue on with it on Monday. Bye-bye now.